0: Welcome, everyone. This is Stargate Roundtable. You're on bbsradio.com station two. And my name is Caroline Oceana ryan I'm a channeler and author. I'm usually just a commentator on the panel. But our wonderful host, Marita Robert, um, also known as Marita Pickett, is not here tonight. So I'll be hosting. And our guest is Dr. Michael Rice, founder and director of Heartland, which is a self-healing center in the Ozark Mountains. And Dr. Rice has been with us before. He's the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again, which is a wonderful book that outlines uh, why you and I and most people will go through life repeating cycles of problems, repeating patterns. We keep meeting up with, say, the same kind of Job situation are the same sort of people that we meet as friends or acquaintances or co workers or keep having the same relationship. You've heard people say, no matter how many times my friend gets married, uh, she just keeps marrying the same guy. You know, you've heard that the people will just repeat patterns in life and not understand why. So we'll be talking to him a bit later. Um, right now, we're just going to open things up a bit. Um, in terms of, well, we'll hear from uh, those who are present tonight. Uh Ramantara will be giving us the Galactic Good News update. We'll hear from Randy as well. Um, Angel Sue is here. So, wonderful. Let's get started. And Angel Sue, would you like to do a bit of a meditation for us, or what do you think?
1: I think that would be fabulous, and I thank you <laughs> okay. very much for stepping in for Marita.
0: Thank and- you. My pleasure.
1: It sounds like it will be a very interesting show. So, everyone, so. <laughs> yes, I do too, I greet you all in the light of the most radiant one, the light of God which never, never fails. And in the office of the Christ, and only in the office of the Christ, let us invoke those loving energies, of Saint Germain and the violet flame of unconditional divine love and as you settle in as the divine child that you are of the universe the God of your heart claim yourself for the divine path that you are walking which is always guided and directed. Let's link up with your higher selves, with your twin flames, the guides, the masters, the teachers, the angels that you work with, the councils of light, And all those from the lighted dimensions, the dimensions filled with the heart of light, all those that celebrate your path here on earth, for so what you're choosing to do, to hold that divine thought. live your life's spiritual path, to hold the law of one in your heart and peace and harmony, calling in divine grace. So as you let all this energy that's been in your head, just let it trickle into your heart space where this calm, slower, more powerful energy can generate even more calibrations and blessings for yourself for the others that you choose to work with. To hold this energy for Nisara, for our faction three white knights and our galactic forces of light, to bring about a great healing Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and on so many dimensions of where your energy resides. For yourself, you can hold this intention, you can hold it for all those that you call, your support team, your group, your family. All of this can stretch beyond your knowledge currently, connecting in with all those wonderful councils of light. And so with this intention to bring about and live in the divine aspect for yourself, And for all others, for all the situations and conditions going on in your life and holding the intention for those that you love. This is where we can just connect in with all of these beings throughout the planet, within the planet, upon and around all beings, all dimensions, all kingdoms, to bring forth this glorious new phase of existence, of the multidimensional divine being that we all are. And so with this intent to call in the Law of One, which is the original law, We are going to just ask that all these beings that are included in these different situations and conditions for every person, place, condition, situation, and thing, everything, throughout all the timelines, all the parallel dimensions, all the potential dimensions, all of creation, We have quite a gathering that we're all connected with. So with this intent, let's just take a big, deep breath as it's appropriate for each of us. Call in the violet flame of unconditional divine love to go throughout all of us. And then we simply say, we are all one. And as one is harmed, then all are harmed. Yet as one is helped, then all are helped. And therefore, in the name of who we are, when we are one with all there is, we ask that only the highest good, of all concerned, happen here. And we give thanks that this is done in the office of the Christ. So be it, and so it is. Now, if you'll just imagine or visualize or pretend that this planet is glowing with the violet flame of unconditional divine love, transition and calibrate and glow and pulsate, and that the beings throughout all dimensions that work with the violet flame, that call in the violet flame, will continue this and purify it and make it even more grand and glorious. That we have capability of imagining, that miracles and blessings abound. That whatever we call for through the violet flame manifests in the perfect, divine, happy solution. And Just paint that happy smile. Within your heart, within all hearts, within all souls, within all beings. That divine joy radiating everywhere. And so once again, take a nice breath as it's appropriate for you. And know that this will go on autopilot and keep rolling along. And that these miracles start right now in ways that we can't even imagine. Thank you for doing this. It's a great work. And I passed the talking stick with my blessings and my love and my total, deep respect for you all.
0: Thank you. So, so beautiful. Thank you so much, Angel Sue. You know, I always feel just so transported by the images you give us and the energy that flows from you from the higher realms, and we really have to be thankful for that. Uh, You really add so much to Stargate, so thank you so much, Duvall. And um, we send lots of love. Absolutely. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, Randy, have you got any update or insights that you'd like to share?
2: Thank you, Caroline. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do something very different here. Okay. I'm going to, I recorded this last night because I lost the information so that I could read it. So I'm going to play this and hopefully that it works. through suppression of their secret advancements that generate fear by perpetuating superstitious conclusions that keep people diverted from the truth and looking the other way by the time people finally do see secret surface such as the stealth fighter they superstitiously conclude they are seeing an alien ship this makes people feel helpless as though they cannot do anything about the situation and they look to the government for a solution as anticipated. Who says aliens aren't microorganisms encased in a growing crystalline environment that don't even need a spacecraft? Invasion of the mind through mind control is worse than any alien invasion could be anyway. It is ridiculous that people fear what they don't know and jump to superstitious conclusion rather than seek the truth. Besides, what would aliens do that the secret government isn't already doing? Take over the world? Perpetuate mass genocide? Aliens could be transdimensional, dimensional Or lizards. But they're not lizards. That's too simple. George Bush said that they're lizards. George Bush created an image of turning into a lizard. Congress already knows about the holographic generators that produce such an image. It wasn't necessary to beleaguer the subject to them because they already know it's a hoax. Testimony has already been provided to Congress regarding the equipment Bush used to perpetuate the illusion. There are numerous similar accounts around the world regarding lizards. With numerous people talking, there is truth to this somewhere. The truth lies in the program to deliberately generate fear. Bush was discussing the fact that people autogenetically respond to snakes and lizards by freezing in fear. By capitalizing on that national reaction, they expect to perpetuate the fear that keeps people diverted from the truth and easily led. That conversation was between Mark Phillips, Kathy O'Brien, and David Icke at a rally in Washington, D.C. So... These are the kinds of things that are coming out now to let people know and make them aware that the game is just about over. So, folks, stay in your heart. Forget the circus called the media, because that's all it is, is a circus. (laughs) Yeah. Project the violet flame continuously all the time. Yeah. And then you'll realize that we've already won. It just has to filter down into what we call the 3D world. But are we there anymore? Are we really in 3D? Are we in multiple dimensions? Mm-hmm. Myself, I think it's all of the above. Namaste. Thank Randy. you, Randy. Randy, I'm do sorry.
3: you know what year that was?
2: Uh, I think about 1980. 19- Eighty-five. I'm not sure. I could probably check back. Wow! Wow! it was a? It was a, It was a? It was held right in right in D.C. It was a public rally of at that time whistleblowers. They just set up their tents. They set up their things. They had their permission. They had everything, and everybody was talking. Everybody was telling their stories, and they couldn't stop it because it was it was all approved.
0: Wow. That's interesting. I don't, I don't know that um, I would accept completely that there are no reptilian ETs because so many people, like David Icke speaks openly um, yeah. about having spoken to a woman who was at, um, was it Edward Heath's house for a dinner party? He was former uh, prime minister of Britain and she saw him starting to shape shift in yep. his form right in front of her eyes. Mm-hmm. and I don't think she uh, was other people have seen it as well people saw Queen Elizabeth starting to shapeshift yes, uh, that's true ago. but you
2: realize that this was that many years ago so what has transpired since that point
3: mm. Hillary Clinton too in Florida yeah. Oh.
2: Yeah. absolutely mm. absolutely <laughs> well we have to think on the positive guys that's all we have to do the energies they're going to they're gonna help assist these guys on their way out that's what yes. it is yeah There are really good
3: reptilians that are going to do that. Absolutely.
2: Exactly. This is what people don't understand. You have to thank the reptilian race for one thing. The ability that we're talking to each other right now over the airwaves, over the digital airwaves. There is a certain faction of their race that helped the humans invent what we call electronics. Yeah
3: we all have reptilian brains exactly and what they did is they exacerbated it for their own purpose to continue in darkness and power and money and all of that stuff and that's just called the fallen angels of us there's only one
0: of us here and Lakesh, yeah in lucash well, Thank you for that, Randy. Did you have anything else to add, or should we move on? Or?
2: I think we should move
0: on. <laughs> I'd right.
2: really like to hear Ramantara's report.
0: Yeah, that would be good. Uh, Ramantara, have you got any news for us?
4: <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Greetings, everyone.
3: Greetings, everyone. It's, it's it is, definitely good. Uh, ringing true that we're at the end
4: it is a very auspicious time to be alive be in our bodies even though there are moments where each day it kind of looks like Mordor and a little more each day but that is about going through um what's unraveling and I can say proudly I serve aboard the New Jerusalem with many reptilian officers in the Ashtar Command who have have sworn their duty under the banner of love to help this planet ascend. And yeah,
3: I keep remembering the crocodile people. They still do right now. They're in Karnak, Egypt, and they guard the uh, temple of Mother Sekhmet. Yes. And there's a, a crocodile being. Her name is Sobek, and you can look her up. Yes. In the uh, Egyptian Book of the Dead, and <laughs> um, very powerful energy. Let's just say, learning how to work with that energy for good is something we all have on our plates. Um, and it has to do with remembering that part of the one of us called the fallen angelic presence. And there's really literally not one of us that haven't had some uh, incarnation somewhere where that part of us got the better of us for some something or another. And again, that has to do with what uh, has been said uh, by Yeshu. He said, let he or she cast the first stone who has not sinned.
0: Sorry, meant to say. No, no, no. Don't read that. It's not- Okay. Okay.
3: Carry on. All right. So I just wanted to say yesterday, Rama got a real short and sweet message. And so uh, this is what he said. Mid-morning today, meaning yesterday, I received a text message from Tom the Ringtail Cat. He said to me, Lord Rama, justice is on our in our midst. Starting next Wednesday, November 13th, public hearings are going to begin on impeachment hearings. And Rudy Giuliani is as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. <laughs> and that's because, I mean, he didn't say it, but they've been saying it all along, that Rudy, when they get down to it, they're going to break open, starting with Rudy, Nine Eleven.
4: Yeah, he was the mayor, in this story is not complete. This is why... I still bring the this name up, Doctor Judy Wood, the scientist who proved the Hutchison effect, the electromagnetic energy that turned the towers into dust. And nobody talks about this because
3: Well, they do have it on regularly, but
4: yeah, yeah. Not on the media. Not the media. They're too petrified. <laughs>
3: Well, it's it's uh, they're pushing on and seeing how far can we keep this lizard program going in the negative sense. How much can we egg it on? You know, I can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, and I can still have my all my people, and I can just keep on going. Well, yeah, and there are consequences to that. If you are interested in that consequence, uh, um, I'm sure Mother will accommodate you.
4: Yes.
3: (laughs) So uh, just to back up again, on Monday, there's not much. Well, we had, no, we didn't have much on Tuesday. But on Monday, close to noon, I received a text message from Natasha and she asked me to meet her at the tea house today. So we did that. And Natasha said to me, Lord Rama, this is the Dalai Lama's message. Anger, suspicion, and jealousy disturb our minds. The antidote to these emotions is to cultivate patience and tolerance. Who provides us the, the option to develop it, the one we call our enemy, therefore we can see him or her as a teacher then that's a profound statement everyone, see all these characters in this play as teachers and that will change everything The one we call our enemy, yes. Then Natasha said to me, Lord Rama, President Trump is a teacher to us. He is a teacher about what has not evolved at this present time. That's attempting to move into the new paradigm, yet is being told access denied. That's taken from the movie Lawnmower Man. That was one of Stephen King's better movies because he did something very preeminent in that movie where he showed that access is truly denied in terms of the ultimate completion of this project. Project uh, the Sarah. <laughs> Okay, so the transcripts of the testimony today from the impeachment hearings are very damning. Corruption, collusion, abuse of power. It is coming down to the very wire. Do you remember he, anything more about that, Rama?
4: Um, it ties into why Michael Cohen is sitting in jail And he this is about, you know, Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, all the other women this man has abused. And it ties in with Harvey Weinstein and the larger story why Jeffrey Epstein is not dead and hiding out somewhere in Israel in an underground bunker with Netanyahu, probably.
3: Yeah.
4: And see, uh, this is what I'm talking about here is the portrayal of these reptilian-human hybrids who are descendants of the fallen angels, And it ties in with the 13 families and how the fallen angels control them with absolute power and fear. And their matrix is breaking up all over the planet and throughout this local solar system as the sun and us are ascending. And it's happening faster and faster and faster each day.
3: And there is um, from the energies too, but the hologram of the Queen is not doing well.
4: No, they're going to announce has. that she left very soon.
3: Well, they said that she's got bladder cancer, and there's, and she's too weak, yeah, you know, that to do anything about it. No, no surgery can be done.
4: Charles is also not well, and just plays the violet fire.
3: Well, Charles is nine, no, Prince Philip, I'm sorry. Prince Philip is 97 years of age, just in case people didn't know that. And um, Kate told Prince Andrew to stay away from her kids in no uncertain terms. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's strong medicine.
4: Yeah, Prince Andrew... I'll just say, no, it's Jeffrey Epstein's alive, and Miss Maxwell, this whole story is larger than I know how to talk about in these short moments, and it's about the human trafficking that's going on on this planet where all the 13 families are involved. That's a misuse of the
3: sacred kundalini force. Yes.
4: Yeah.
3: And Prince Andrew's own daughter, she's getting married, and she doesn't want to see him anywhere. She doesn't want to see her father anywhere near the wedding. So, in other words, the younger children are saying something, you know, and through their parents to the Kate and uh, the daughter, and, yeah. And uh, since his mother. Is in this very weakened state. Prince Charles has already declared himself regent in England. Which is interesting.
0: I thought it was going to pass automatically to William. Nope.
3: Not 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 now, not at this particular moment.
4: Mm,
3: interesting. Mm-hmm.
4: And Harry, you know, and megan All of
3: this is temporary. All of this is very, very temporary.
4: Harry and Megan don't want to have anything to do with the Royals. Oh, they, they, they have.
3: <laughs> the, uh, the other way around goes for them, too. Don't worry about that. Yep. I was <laughs> um, uh, also going to say, just to confirm it really solidly, that every single Israeli embassy and every country, colony, whatever you want to call going on here, on Earth, is completely shut down. And what that really indicates is that the Khazarian Mafia is dead. They have lost complete control of this planet, 100%. No matter what it looks like. Or apparitions are apparitions, let's put it that way. And... Um, Again, when you see a, a Netanyahu, you're only seeing a clone or another clone or a, a cl- clone of a clone. In other words, the real Netanyahu's alive and well and living in that underground base where Epstein is. And they're carrying on. You remember Epstein's Council of Foreign Relations Trilateral Commission.
4: Um, is that it? Uh, I think that's enough. <laughs> That's scary enough to talk about.
3: Well, it's not scary. It's Yeah. It's 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 a sham at this point in time cuz people have have moved on. Now yes. they have um, I was transcribing a story today on redacted tonight VIP leak camp had this really amazing young lady named Trinity on there. What's her, uh, her last name? Trinity Trans, I think. Um, it's about the public banking system of California, uh, and I learned more. It's not really where I thought it was, but it's amazing how they've gone from where they were to now. Uh, and uh, It's progressing
4: it's very, very well.
3: Uh, it's in particular about uh, establishing a public bank, a city, public city bank in L.A. So Trinity Trans is the co-founder uh, of uh, the creation of this public banking operation. There's 430,000 who voted for the public bank. And uh, it was just short of winning, yet Mm -hmm. Gavin Newsom signed off on Bill number 8.8.5.7, which is the Public Banking Act. So how Trinity put it is we lost the battle, yet we won the war, as Gavin put his John Henry on that act, in spite of the vote. So that's interesting. So they created they created a public citizens lobbying. That uh, Trinity said then we created these public citizens lobbying teams and moved it from a somewhat obscure idea to mainstream media. Um, uh, and the purpose is to create affordable credit, empowering communities. Being able to invest in communities, building a broad-based coalition to combat the Wall Street private interests, um, lobby groups that were nine. They created nine lobbying groups that were lobbying. Oh, there were the opposition did uh, that were lobbying to kill these this bill through the, their their committees representing the private finance and government. Um, So we had to create a diverse group of people, um, uh, of people power, representing elected officials um, uh, in cities. There were 17 cities and counties that came on to actually sign um, uh, resolutions endorsing 888. 5-7, the Public Banking Act, which would enable cities and counties in California to create their own public banks. We had over 180 community organizations, national organizations, some of the biggest labor unions in the state of California, which further helps legitimize the idea and bring that political power that we need. Um, see, this is this is I mean, she went into so much detail and so many people involving themselves. And that's what it means by saying that they are not doing it for us. And, you know, California is the fifth largest economy on Earth. And they've been facing um, intentional climate crisis. They've been using um, the satellite weather modification Uh, technology, and they've been causing spontaneous combustion from the inside out of those trees. Uh, And I've been watching some footage, and it's really happening like that. And this is not so nice. But um, the fact of the matter is is that there's so much power in uh, overcoming this. And she was talking about this, too, that we had to coordinate... An incredible inside-outside strategy, working together with legislators, um, 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 what's that word, (laughs) modeling from the inside and the grassroots activists, coordinating press pressure from the outside. And those three things together really helped us essentially hack the system and take on the Wall Street lobby without any funding. All people power. And what they're saying is that they have something to say about what happens here with all of this. You know, the fires, for instance. Uh, uh, And Mama was told that Uh, Gavin Newsom received over $200,000 from PG&E, and um, you might say there's all kinds of angels and protections around him, but he had to take it. Otherwise, they would have killed him right on the spot.
5: Yeah. See,
3: PG&E... <laughs> you no, know, they've declared bankruptcy so that all the people, like in the Paradise Fire, I think tomorrow is the anniversary. Uh, Don and Doug should know that mm. of the Paradise Fire
4: mm, mm.
3: Uh, was that just a year ago, or was yes, it- yes. that yeah. was a yeah. ago. Oof. Anyway, so you know, in other words, all the lawsuits and all the paying of lawyers' fees and all that stuff. Um, PG and E is just trying to wipe it off the map by declaring bankruptcy, and see these uh, workings towards the community public banking system. Is um, instead of confronting them with their darkness, they're just going around them and they're working on another level to change it all. And it's pretty powerful. So anyway, Lee Camp said to Trinity, "What kind of efforts and tricks?" Were the big banks involved in in trying to stop you and Wall Street trying to and Wall Street trying to stop you and Do you have any ideas to what else they have coming down the road? And Trinity said, Well, they testified against us through um, committees. They lobbied. Be uh, they lobbied. Behind the scenes in Sacramento, and they were walking through the halls, we had, and as they were walking through the halls, we had to bring a lobbying force up in Sacramento, and we coordinated an incredibly high team of organizers, these weren't just your typical activists, these were lawyers, retired doctors, executives, young professionals, students who were all united and educated on the talking points to be able to communicate to legislators about the importance of this bill. And essentially, how we were able to beat Wall Street was by recalibrating what it means to be an activist. Mm-hmm. This is pretty interesting. It is not something that is necessary to be confrontational. It's about being able to respect, respectfully sit down and build a relationship and build camaraderie with legislators to be used uh, and inspire others to move this bill forward. And that was what we were successful in. So then Lee said, and what are your next steps now? The Starting a public bank is actually, now that starting a public bank in California is actually legal. And Trinity says, well, well now that it's legal, the fight pivots back to the city level, 8-8 is going to be implemented as a pilot program, which means that the Department of Business Oversight is enabling two public bank licenses to be used in two cities, uh, and it's an eight-year term, yet over the first seven-year period with a maximum of 10 public banking licenses they will have. So over the next seven years, the California Public Banking Alliance will coordinate the rollout of these public banks. We are going to have, sounds like a long time, but just, you know, as we look at this, this is, I mean, the determination and insisting, and then there's the faction three
4: Time shrinking as the energy white
3: nights. S- yes, um, in other words, we're not waiting seven years, no, and it has to do with some other big stories. There was, uh, uh, uh in the science journal, um, 11,000 climate scientists over 154 countries or colonies and they got together and they said that the climate crisis has been happening much 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 faster than anybody's been telling us well
0: hold on one second Um, Tara because I've got a question what's it going to mean If we have public banks in California or anywhere, does that mean the government can't sort of swoop in and grab the money if it feels that their bank is going to, or the Federal Reserve is going to go bust? I mean, what's the improvement that we would want public banks?
3: All the money goes to the community, to the people. They have nothing to say. They don't get to touch a dime of it.
0: Okay, excellent.
3: Yeah. Now I was. I had that same question because I was kind of furrowing my brow because as uh, she goes on, she talks about the. I kept on saying FICA, but it's F D I C. Yeah. Yeah. F D I C. My
0: initials got all weird. Now something, <laughs> something I would really love for Rama to ask King of Swords. I noticed that. Um, What a credit union will have is NCUA rather than FDIC. And I looked it up and, you know, on Google in general information, it says NCUA is pretty much the same as FDIC, meaning that if it's federally insured, you know, that they could uh, if NCUA in, in a credit union is also connected federally, those funds could be taken, couldn't they? Does the King well, of Swords have any information are, on that?
3: There's a that's an excellent question. That there are there are community um, credit unions that do not have NCUA or FDIC. Neither. There are those that do, and there are those that do not. And the ones that do not, they can't touch that. That's
0: that's, okay. that's so people. People need to look for specifically look for the credit unions that don't have that NCUA at the bottom of the homepage there. That's right. Uh, Yeah. Okay. That's important. I think
3: that's very important. We got a from a sister of ours today. And she said, I took everything out because I found out that my credit union was that NCUA thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so she said, "Uh, I, I, she's in the military, you know, was and she there's nothing else around there's just nothing else around so it goes into that ncua credit union but she just takes lets it go in and she takes it all out Mm -hmm. as soon as it gets in there she takes it all out very good yes and uh i mean the most important thing is to stay alert be calm so that you can do this in a presence of mind because as we act in a calm way people feel that and they ask questions and others can get help from us it takes
4: you to a higher path
3: it's absolutely it's amazing the work that this teamwork that this young lady trinity was talking about i'm just going talk about (laughs) nerve-wracking
0: who is this woman is she a an activist or journalist or what?
4: um I've never heard of her till today I yeah, mean well,
3: can't we can't you know he's he's good at yeah
4: um, this,
3: she is the co-founder of uh, this uh, group uh that are focusing on public banking uh particularly in la okay that's who she is and she's got lots of skills and um Knowledge, tremendous knowledge. I mean, she's a, middle, a young millennial. Uh, by the way, uh, AOC is going to have her birthday on the 13th, which is also the full moon day next Sunday. And she's going to be 30. AOC will be 30 on uh, next Sunday. So, and I think this young lady's about that age too, same age. Uh, I'm just like, uh keeping keeping it together and the young people have an endless reason to do so you might say you know yeah yeah because uh, they're as they don't they're holding the bag for all of us so um yet i was impressed when she said retired doctors that's interesting uh, I'll, I'll finish reading with her i wanted to just go back to this eleven thousand scientists as i've got it fresh here uh, from 153 nations warning of untold suffering as a consequence of the climate crisis because it's moved up exponentially much faster than anybody's been saying and um Yet that's why Mother's here, and that's why this is moving so rapidly. I just want to make sure that we be calm as we read this stuff. Yet they, they, they published in the journal of, oh, it's called Bioscience, uh, five things that people can do that can really make a difference. And number one is use energy more efficiently and have a carbon tax to cut fossil fuel use. Uh, and... Um, Yes, we can. And then two, to stabilize the population of the planet. And they put a little note in there, and they said one of the most effective ways of doing that is to empower girls and women and extend their educational um, training uh, uh, to a much longer education for girls. And I just want to add on my own What I learned and I've been saying it a number of times that uh, in the uh, native uh, Iroquois tribal nations that really created the first declaration of independence in 1774, which was their confederation, Mm -hmm. where they brought their six nations together into one, you might say, way of governing. Uh, at the grandmothers went, went, the grandmothers governing the grandmothers led the governance of the whole yeah of the whole system yeah yeah and, and there was a rule of thumb and that is you do not have a child more than once every seven years. Mm-hmm. And there is a reason for it. It takes a full seven years for the female body to completely re- readjust into its fullness after the child comes through. That's what it takes to, to bring the, all the systems back in power. And it forms alliance with the age of reason at seven which is saying that that child needs spiritual, the first seven rays of, you know, color, sound and vibration that we're talking about when we talk about Saint Germain and the violet flame and the seven rays and all the ascended masters and all those rays. uh, 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 The grandmothers taught that stuff in the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year, the sixth year, the seventh year of the child. At that point, that child... Is ready to be a little teacher, you might say, to another child as you choose to have it. They literally stabilized their population by doing that.
0: Literally. That's that's a brilliant system, and I wish that we would borrow from that kind of wisdom. And I think they were handing on the wisdom they learned from the Star Nations because there was so much direct contact.
3: Where does it say that?
0: ET's and, um, you know, the the Native people. I think it's really brilliant. But uh, we've got Dr. Rice on the line now, so I think we'll switch over. Uh, Dr. Rice, can you hear me all right? Thank you, Robin Tara. Loud and way. clear. How are you doing this evening?
6: I'm rocking. Doing well, thank you. And yourself?
0: <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Um, I just want to quickly go over your bio for listeners. Our guest is Dr. Michael Rice. He's the founder and director of Heartland, which is a self-healing center in the Ozark Mountains. He's a world-renowned lecturer and teacher on health and healing, and he holds doctorates in naturopathic medicine and in holistic philosophy. The focus of his studies combines body-mind principles, physics, and ancient Aramaic studies into a unique body of pioneering work in the fields of self-healing, healing healing through relationships, anger and grief resolution, world peace, and the inner process of forgiveness. His unique synthesis of information and tools is acclaimed, quote, a powerful blend of spiritual principles and intellectual clarity, guided by the heart, unquote. His workshops explain how the body-emotion interaction affects health, every event in life and impacts our relationships and his book why is this happening to me again is an international bestseller so wonderful Uh, welcome Dr. Rice I know you've been on the show before Uh, Marita is out this evening so my name is Caroline Oceana Ryan and I'll be interviewing you and anyone else in the panel who wishes to jump in with a question or comment Um, I would say to listeners Uh, Dr. Rice has a really wonderful fresh outlook on dealing with patterns, painful patterns that keep repeating over and over in life, particularly in relationships and how we feel about uh, how other people have treated us. And often that begins in childhood. So if you'd like to call in with a question, the number is 888-429-5471. That's 888 429 And then we've got another line, which is 323-744-4841. So I'll repeat those again at another point. Um, but, you know, you can get, actually, Doctor, you can get your book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again, on... Um, you can read it online. Uh, I've been reading it, and it's really interesting. And it, the, Dr. Rice's website is whyagain.org. And you start right in with a story of, you know, it's probably a bit fictional, but it, and yet it's so real. That you're talking to this man, Richard, who's been divorced probably several times. He seems to keep marrying the same sort of woman. He keeps running into the same situation where a woman is loving and kind and supportive. And then she gets more distant and doesn't pay him any attention. And he has problems with impulse control, with anger control. And as the story goes on, we find that his mother... Had um, she sounds maybe a bit bipolar, she would suddenly get very angry. Uh, she would scream at him or, or beat him out of the blue, even after he'd done something he thought would be, you know, helpful or something she would appreciate. And you're a character in this story, and that you're walking him through the realizations that it's not about other people. Uh, the only reason we draw certain people into our lives. Is because we're set up mentally to expect, you know, this is what love is. Love always is always accompanied by punishment or abandonment or grief or what have you. We set that up. And my question is, you know, doesn't that happen at such a deep subconscious level that it's really hard for people to recognize that there are repeating patterns? Most people just feel like, you know, all the sort of quote unquote popular advice is, oh, Try to vet these people that you date or these people you work with. Try to figure out if they're the type you want to work with. But an unconscious draw toward a particular personality, we're not in conscious control of that. So how do we become aware of what our subconscious is doing, really?
6: Well, that was an awesome review of the book. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to get you to put that right. That was perfect. (laughs) <laughs> and And right on track, and you know some people oftentimes will get calls at Hartley and people looking for my book and they'll and you can tell a lot about what's going on in their lives by the language they use and they'll they'll say, "I understand you have this book called "Why are they doing this to me again oh or, or why am i or why am I doing this to myself again as opposed to yeah. why is this happening to me again?" and you know the bottom line is that we are energetic beings. The whole foundation, my background originally is in electronics with a site study in physics. And when because of my own health challenges, I started to pursue and and had to come to understand healing going into naturopathic medicine, I brought my physics background into the laboratory in, in medicine, and it just became obvious that this so called body mind unit is nothing but an energy system. And yes. it we can understand it much more deeply through the eyes of energy than we can through most of pop psychology or, you know, the, the culture's beliefs about relationships and how of course it's everybody else's fault. Probably one of the greatest atrocities done to us down through the ages and that we've bought into is that we've had Blocked from us the awareness that we are by nature creators. And, and of course, the idea of being a creator, everybody loves that idea when things in their lives are going well. (laughs) But when they're not going so well, they always have a name for the person that's the problem, and their name is them. If only they'd be different. And, And my offering is, if you're listening to the show now and there's somebody in your life you think that if they would change, your life would be better, then I have news for you. You've got work to do. If you've been through a particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, sooner or later you've got to notice that you're the one who was there every time. And when you do start to notice that, then you start to ask yourself the question and look at a deeper level at what's happening within your own mind. And there is a technology. You, know, you say, how do you get to the root of this? There's a technology that was developed 2,000 years ago in the Aramaic language, and it's interesting. The Aramaic language is the root language of at least six of the world's major religions, and not because it's a religious language, but it is a physics language. It is a psychological language. It is a genetic language. It is a language that perfectly comprehends how physiology works, especially in relationship to the mind. And so the, the major tool that we offer to people— and it's the tool for awakening, is that of first-century Aramaic forgiveness. And we'll invite anybody who's listening to please forget everything that you've ever been told about forgiveness, because at least 99.9999999% of it is a lie. Now, we've been given a Greek idea, and, and if the man named Yeshua were to sit in most churches in the Western world today, he'd say, that's all Greek to me. So this Greek idea is, you did it to me, it's all your fault, but it's okay, I'll forgive you. I'll let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. And if I let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me, I've done nothing to address, access, or change what's happening inside of me. And if I never learn how to address, access, and change what's happening inside of me, I get to live the title of my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? Yeah. In the Aramaic language, the word forgive is a tool with which you collapse pained perception. And upon collapsing pained perception, you, that, that collapse drops into its own footprint. You know, we got to see an image back a couple of decades ago on 9-11 where these buildings totally collapsed in their own footprint at free fall speed. Now, that's a physiological, that's a a mechanical impossibility. That's a different question for a different day. But when you think about that building collapsing in on its own footprint, if you make the comparison with perceptions generated by the mind that are based in pain, if you can collapse that pained perception, it drops in on its own footprint. And it gives you access to what underlies, what's hidden in the unconscious that keeps the patterns going over and over and over again. And so that's forgiveness in the Aramaic, is to drop into that, access that, and literally remove the energetic patterns with which we unconsciously create the same scenarios over and over and over again. And as you say, the book can be read free online and or uh, people can uh, download it online and, and read it. Uh, The book is actually out of print at this moment, uh, and I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but for 2 or $3, you can go onto Amazon, and they usually have used copies that people are selling. So you can order it on Amazon pretty inexpensively, uh, or you can can, uh, download it free. And beyond that, if you start to work with it, because it's a much different way of thinking than the world thinks, uh, two hours a day, five days a week, we do a radio show where we support people in understanding these tools. So people can call two hours a day and have a personal conversation with myself and my wife, Jeannie, who teaches this work. She does a, a workshop called Women Healing Women and is working on writing a book called Healing Generations One Breath at a Time. Or they can talk to a psychologist named Dr. Kim Hayes. He's a 43 year practicing psychologist who's been doing my work for about the last 16 or 17 years. And we're there to assist people in processing and dealing with things and learning how to access and use the tools. And so that's basic that's in a nutshell what this work is about. First century Aramaic forgiveness is the key tool.
0: Well, I'm wondering if anything survives from Yeshua's Statements that would head us in the right direction, you know the canon the New Testament canon has been so heavily edited and revised over the centuries, and of course you tell a um, an evangelical or you know a Bible Baptist that, and they 'll just smile at your extreme ignorance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and pray that you come to Jesus one day. And um, I grew up in a, quite a church-growing family, and uh, there are some family members who are more conservative in their theology than I am. But um, I'm just wondering what survives of Yeshua's statements that might support what you're saying. Does
6: anything? Well, first of all, I'm the director of a foundation that's translating a copy of the oldest known New Testament in Aramaic, oh, the Eastern you. canon of the New Testament. Excellent. So it goes back to we've had it, the the text itself. We've had carbon dated at uh, the University of Arizona, which is kind of the primo carbon dating facility on the planet, mm-hmm. and they tell us that the actual manuscript, the physical paper or vellum that it's written on, uh, is from approximately the year 1000 plus or minus 50 years. So we're working with a thousand-year-old copy of a 164 A.D. text, and there's an imprimatur uh, in the manuscript, which would be kind of like a notary statement today, signed by the Bishop of the Church of Nineveh back in 164 A.D. or thereabouts, where he verifies that this is a copy of that 164 A.D. text, makes it the oldest known copy Uh, There may be older copies available. Back in those days, it was normal for a family who had some wealth to have their own family copies made. So who knows what's hiding in people's libraries. But we're working with this text. And and basically, we had uh, 25 of the world's top aramicists who worked together for years establishing the first-century meanings of the words. The, uh, the, The translation was actually managed and directed by an attorney who was my partner and as an attorney he utilized the rules of evidence to determine what would get into the translation and then once we you know once 25 translators agreed on a particular passage then that that did not verify the translation what had to happen, and this is the part that I played in the, uh, in the whole process, is then I would take what the translators did, I don't read, write, or speak the language, not allowed to as the director of the foundation, but I would take what they uh, came up with, and I would take it into the laboratory, the classroom. If it produced the result that was promised in those texts, then we considered the translation verified. Hmm. And we took it into prison systems and we cut recidivism by over ninety percent in the prison systems.
0: Oh my
5: gosh.
6: With the tools with the tools that come out of the first century Aramaic. It was so effective and actually it was in Albany, Georgia, and Albany, Georgia is a pretty rough town if you've never been there. Some people have called it a body part lower than the armpit of Georgia. Hmm. It was so effective that we emptied the sheriff's jails, and the sheriff got rid of it because, in essence, he was out of business. Yeah. The Sheriff, if you don't, if you, if you know how this works, the sheriff gets a per diem for everybody that's in his jail. If he doesn't have anybody in his jail, he doesn't get any money. He doesn't if any money, he can't pay his bills, and so he got rid of it. So, so it does it work? And so there's nothing to believe in what I'm going to offer or what I say about this whole process. We invite people, don't believe a word I've got to say, because we know none of it's true. Nothing you think or believe or can say is true either about the actuality of the world as it actually is. We have realities, we have our own perceptual constructs about it, and we have language to represent that. But that's so far away from what the actual energy system of life is about, that we're just starting to crawl toward comprehending the actuality. So rather than us saying, well, here's the truth, we've got it, and this is the dogma and this is the doctrine, our approach is, well this guy Yeshua didn't say I come to bring you dogma, I did come to bring you doctrine, I come to tell you that you better believe this or else Mm -hmm. he says I come to bring you life and life more abundantly. Does the teaching you're engaging in that purportedly comes from him bring you to higher levels of life. If it does, you're probably on track. If it doesn't, then you've probably got a fraud. And as I say, Mm. most of it, yes, you would say, that's all Greek to me. Mm. So the basic bottom line is, you know, first thing we need to do, my offering is, we need to establish what a human being is. And I haven't found enough words in the English language or any other language to even start to describe that. But there is an experiential definition of a human being, and that is, hold a newborn child. Do you have any children?
0: I don't myself, no.
6: But you I haven't have you ever held a newborn? A young, a young grandniece and
0: grandnephew. <laughs> oh, yes, I have. So
6: if, so if you think back to the first time you held that little one. And if you were to tap into the essence of that newborn, what word would you use to describe that newborn? The first word that comes to mind is pure. Exactly. We've asked, my wife and I, Jeannie, have asked that question of tens of tens of thousands of people all over the globe. And 100%, doesn't matter what culture we're in, what language people speak, what part of the globe we're in, The answer is always some variation on the theme of purity, beauty, sweetness, and love.
5: Mm.
6: Why? Because we all know what human life is. And then they conned us into believing that love was something we do to each other. But if you think about that newborn, imagine, go back and imagine holding that newborn again for a moment. Tap into their essence. And then answer the question, is the newborn loving you, or is the newborn love? Mm. Yeah, they the embody the essence of love. The newborn is love. Mm. Now, it's interesting. Vladimir Lenin is a man who is probably responsible for more deaths on planet Earth than any human being in history. And he says the way you destroy a culture, it should change the meaning of its words.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: We each come into this world as the sweet, active, pure presence of love. And then the culture of most of our world, the cultures, do the best they can to destroy that presence of love and implant a different set of ideas that fear, hostility, money, and that love is something we do to each other. And mm-hmm. all of those things go right along with Lenin's definition of how to destroy a culture, change the meaning of its words. And so once somebody loses the awareness that their essence is love, then they'll go out following the directive. And the kids wrote about this, you probably remember it a few decades ago. And the song went like this, looking for love in all the wrong places looking for love in too many faces, Mm -hmm. trying to get from someone else something that's not available from someone else, trying to do something to someone else to get their approval. And none of that has anything to do with love. So most people's pursuit is in a totally false direction. And all of the time spent pursuing that is a waste compared to learning to live as a human being again and recapturing the essence of who we are. I actually had a, uh, uh, a woman who contacted me, a, a person who's been a student of mine for what the last 30 years or so. And it was just a few weeks ago, maybe six, seven weeks ago, she called me and she said she was just in great trauma and confusion. She had gone to see someone she had previously dated 20 or so years ago and almost married. And she contacted me in great pain and trauma and confusion over the question of, why doesn't love survive? Why can't we have these relationships? And in response to that, I immediately got a download of a a poem that kind of puts all of this together in sort of just a a short five-minute nutshell of what it is that needs to be done. And if there are no questions, or if we have other conversation to do, I'd like to just share that and just ask you, it's kind of a meditative type of thing, to just be in that meditation and just tap into what, what this journey of life is really about, as opposed to getting more stuff or getting people to approve of us and then calling that love.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, great. That would be great if you well, want to share I, that.
6: Shall I share that? Okay. Yes,
0: fine. of course.
6: So the title of the poem is "Is Love Restored." It takes about five minutes, so I'll just invite everybody to just kind of get into the a quiet space and a meditative space and uh, and give it a listen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, "Love Restored," blueprint for the journey home. Ah. The world mind mistaken. Compulsive denial. The belief others are to blame is the root of dissociation. The universal excuse for a loveless life. And the cause of thought disorders. That block awareness. And obliterate natural joy. These. And fears fraud. The myth of fleeting love. Heal where truth, love, and compassion enter. The truth is, our essence, love created, though relinquished, is eternal. Taste the nature of a newborn. Notice the newborn is not loving you, but is love. Seek ye first. Clearly, the essence, love, of self and others can be touched but not contained cherished but never captured nor imprisoned to fulfill the dream of what could never be lost identity, love will never be gained from nor possessed through him, her or them the trauma of separation from love self initiates and drives the infantile desire to possess, control, rage, threaten, and punish should pretended love, approval, be perceived as removed. Just observe a child of two. Foolish to think a surrogate can repair vanished self-awareness or restore human life, virtues, and sensibilities buried beneath the noise of generations of pain, self-inflicted disordered thoughts, and unforgiven suffering. Self, love confined in the cage of demand, distress endured and held breath, fades. Drowned out by the swirling cries of a thousand generations of errant thoughts, whispers, seized and bound by unfulfilled yearning, Love only seems to be smothered dead in forgiveness by collapsing pain perception. Once again, actual love, compassion and joy floods awareness no longer trapped in the mental constructs of pain and inadequacy. The abyss of fear and darkness is dispelled. Immersed. I commence the journey back to the luscious sweetness of myself, love. What seemed lost was never absent. The still small voice of love, he who has ears let him hear, has but been obscured through perception degraded by internally generated fear and or hostility. It is among us still, sleeping under a blanket of distraction poor nutrition, and unfulfilled desires. It, I, will live again, not in longing's fulfillment, but in release, in being freed from my mind. The chains of desire bind, but goals loose, soften into pure being that thrives again in free breath. Love, not an action, but a state of being I can trust is the essence of who I am. My deepest nature is to live and flourish in the bliss of being. No reasons nor possessions needed. Physiology, designed for my incarnation, now embodies the only true experience of love. Relationships purpose. To restore me to my birthright of enthusiasm and living in love's ecstasy. All else is born of generational delusions, which are the cause of all disease, lack, and suffering. Concealed, but never changed by the thousand disturbances, trances, and traumas of the world, I, the offspring of love, live shiny and new. The promise of life more abundantly is fulfilled. I was birthed in awareness of my existence as love. And when I truly forgive life's overlays, I am freed from my mind's false graven image of self. Mercy and healing enter and awaken to the truth of who I am. I live as love itself and fulfill the ancient call to reunite as I extend to all the world. I rise again each day, truth expressed, light restored, love revealed.
0: Very powerful. Very beautiful. Thank you.
6: And so, 2,000 years ago, in the Aramaic language, this man named Yeshua knew exactly how to bring people back to life, life more abundantly. But that doesn't serve kings. Kings need people who live in hostility, fear, and inadequacy, because dumbed down by fear, inadequacy, and hostility people make great slaves. And in order to control masses of lands and peoples and resources, people Mm -hmm. kings need people who are willing to function as slaves. And it's time for us to wake up to the truth of who we are and give up that whole king game. Forgiveness is the core tool that Yeshua presented 2,000 years ago for how to do that. He makes a statement, and this is translated accurately by the Greeks. He says, in order for you to live, you've got to die. Now, that's a pretty yeah. silly statement. In order to live, I've got to, I mean, what does that mean? In order to live, I put, cancel the thought, I put a bullet in my head. That's crazy. What does it mean? Well, there's this false self that is a product of unresolved, unconscious trauma the ego self, it's been called, E-G-O, edging God, or love out, edging out the truth of who we are. That false self is an identity that most people come to think of as who they are. It's an hallucination built into the mind. That self has to die, has to go, in order to make room for being, created being, to incarnate within the form and the way that the the that false self is removed is through forgiveness. Mm. Well, and bringing I everything to... Yes, a second. <laughs> it's bringing everything in our lives based in hostility or fear forward from its root in the presence of active love which creates a transmutation of energy and leads to the dissolution of the false self. Well,
0: this is what I wanted to ask you about, because at one point in the book, you note that the mind only permits into its awareness that information which supports its goals and prejudices. And it doesn't like other information. All other information is hidden, you say. And if we hold an emotionally charged goal of being right, we all know what that is. We all know how we we love to be right. (laughs) Then when we're doing that, the mind withholds all evidence that would show the truth of a situation. Which fascinates right. me. So, what you're talking about is overcoming the ego mind, coming out of the mind, in a sense. Even though what you present are could be taken as philosophical or, you know, um, quantum physics type, uh, you know, principles. Nevertheless. Um, you're really saying, all right, but these ideas aren't for us to cling to and, and to uh, fortify our ego with. They're to uncover what we've kept a lid on for, you know, maybe centuries of Earth lives. And um, that means pulling the ego mind out of the driver's seat. And that's probably the biggest thing modern man and woman could ever do right now. It, exactly. it would be
6: astounding. Yeah. In order to actually heal... You've got to be out of your mind. The secrets are hidden by the mind. They're not hidden in the mind. you got yeah. to get that thing to shut up. It's a tool. It's not meant to run your life. It's meant to be a tool. I need you for a minute, mind. You've got some information. Thanks for that information. Now go back to sleep. Get out of my way. Yeah. But what happens is the mind in most people has become worshipped. the intellect, reason. Ah, that's the way to get to it. And information, that's the... Knowledge, that's... Well, if knowledge were happiness, we'd be the most blissful civilization that ever existed. And we are the most drugged and traumatized civilization on an individual and collective level probably that's ever existed within within its own culture. Certainly there have been civilizations where war and such created such monstrous traumas. But without that, just within our own family systems, our own community, our own culture, today our own political system, the trauma and the drama that people go through pretty much proves that knowledge is not the key to the game. And the mm-hmm. intellect isn't going to get us there. What forgiveness does is that there's an interesting piece of information that uh, that we quote uh, nowadays. This is something I found about four years ago, kind of by accident doing some research. You know, we've taught for years that Perception is a construct of the mind, and that the mind is an evidential device. There's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits. So when you think of 10,000 individual units of information firing off, and all we get to see is nine Bits of that information, and we call that the world. We call that the truth when all it is is a constructed perception. And it's been estimated in that same time frame of 10,000 brain cells with nine bits firing that the world of actuality contains perhaps as much as 20 trillion bits of data. Well, when you're looking at nine bits out of potentially 20 trillion, what you're looking at is that is at evidence. The mind is an evidential device. And the only evidence that the mind can give you is evidence of your own BS. <laughs> and of course that BS is belief system. Yeah. If somebody if somebody has a different reality for those initials, I'll just invite people to notice that's their reality, not mine, it's belief system. And and so here's the quote that we that we now use just to back up what we've been teaching for decades you can go to the CIA's website, CIA.gov, and free, you know, I don't know how many millions they spent doing this research, you can download a book called The Study of Human Intelligence. One of the chapters in that book is a chapter on perception. I don't know how many millions they spent, but the goal was to to improve intelligence services. And to do that, they studied perception. And here, quote, is, is, is word for word what the cia's conclusion is about perception and it says the mind does not record reality the mind generates reality each person lives within their own reality my reality is a reflection of my bs Your reality is a reflection of your BS. And, you know, it's easy to prove if you've ever sat in a courtroom and listened to six different people testify about an accident.
5: Yes. uh You wonder
6: if any two of them were at the same accident. I mean, how is that possible? Didn't they all experience the same thing? No. No two people have ever experienced the same thing. They experience the same actuality, but the perceptual construct that they experience is determined by the biases, the beliefs, and the Uh, realities within their own minds. So the person who, you know, let's say, has a prejudice against women drivers reports in the courtroom, Your Honor, I saw that woman drive through the red light and smash into this man, when the truth is, it was the man that drove through the red light. Mm. But he knows what he saw, and, and here's the thing, he did see her drive through the red light, even though it never happened. Because his prejudice has demanded that he see her as the one at fault. It's interesting in relationships. A lot of people believe that hey, it's always the other person's fault. And they see and experience that other person as being at fault. And and it's true that they actually see that and experience it. But what they don't understand is that that's a construct in their mind. And the construct is nothing but that. It's just a construct. You know, we we think that we look out through this pair of windows called eyes and we see what's going on out there. That's a total fraud. You've never seen anything outside of you. I've never seen anything outside of me in my life. And nobody ever has. The eyes are not a pair of windows that we look out through. We can look at it scientifically. We know that the eye is an antenna. It's actually a frequency device. It receives certain frequencies that enter the eye. There's no looking out through the eye. But the information that comes in resonates content, prejudices, beliefs, realities within the mind, and the mind generates absolutely literally the world that we see. The person whose reality constructs reasonably match the actuality, we say they're pretty intelligent. The person whose reality constructs are so far out in left field that they don't match at all, we put them in asylums. We say they're crazy. Mm -hmm. The truth is, most everybody in between is truly crazy, because... They are constructing the world that they see, and if they never change the root of their perception, then they'll see the same thing happening to them over and over and over again, because that's the content of their minds, and it simply replays. And, you know, yesterday it was Charlie's fault, and the week before, and it was Bill's fault before that, and Hortense before that, and tomorrow it will be, you know, whoever else we happen to look at. What we offer to people is if you're angry and you've been telling yourself, well, I'm angry at Charlie, well, that's a lie. You've never been angry with anyone in your life. And the way we can prove that is I'll say to, you know, the person who says they're angry at Charlie, well, how long have you known Charlie? Oh, I've known Charlie for five years and boy, he's been an irritation. He's made me angry for at least four of those five years. And then I ask the question, well, let me, let me just check this out with you. Let's go back six years ago before you knew Charlie. Did you know this quality of anger? If a person's honest, 100% of the time they'll say yes. And so I say, so, so you're now today blaming Charlie for your anger, and yet six years ago before you ever knew there was a guy named Charlie in the world, you had the same anger. And, and who was it you were blaming then? Oh, that was my former. That was Billy. Boy, he was so nasty, I'll tell you. How long did you know Billy? Oh, I knew him for 20 years. Okay, so let's go back 20 years before that. Did you know this quality of anger? Uh, Well, yeah, actually I did, yeah. And who were you blaming then? See, the truth is that... We've never been angry or afraid of anybody in our lives. If someone has anger, they have anger in their minds. That's all any object of attention will do. Anybody, if you live in denial, anybody will do to blame it on. And what happens with the Aramaic forgiveness process is we get to collapse the surface mind's perceptual constructs. And when they collapse in on themselves, we get access to what's underneath them. When we start to bring those things that are under the surface forward in the presence of active love, there's a transmutation that takes place in the unconscious mind, and the game changes. And we start to experience ourselves flooded with the actual presence of human life, with the actual presence of love, and that leads to the dissolution of generations and generations and generations of pain. So, when you're talking talking about the Aramaic system of forgiveness, is it
0: what you're describing to us right now about tracing the root of the anger and realizing, no, it's not that person, it's not that situation. You were carrying this anger way before you met that person. Is that the system? Um, No. Well,
6: that's the start of understanding the system. All right. The how to of forgiveness. This took me almost 35 years of working full-time with the Aramaic to understand. And so I assume you've got archives of this show, so someone might go back and listen to it repeatedly, or uh, we've got videos that explain it free on our website. We've got our radio show to help people to understand it. But in the Aramaic language, the word forgive is shebag, which actually means
7: to cancel.
6: And so what forgiveness, the way that forgiveness actually works from the Aramaic is I look at the circumstance or the situation that I'm in. You know, um, Charlie is supposed to love me and take care of me, and Charlie isn't taking care of me. I'm so enraged with Charlie. So the person who would say that to me, if I were their therapist, what I would now be able to, to deduce is it this person that i'm talking to and their file on being taken care of they have rage and rage is a distorter of perception this person needs to heal their rage how are we going to do that the rage is unconscious what do you do well let's go back to that harvard research for a minute there's a nine bit perceptual construct out of 10,000 brain cells firing Now, obviously, something must determine out of those 10,000 brain cells firing what it is that's going to be used to generate this particular perception. If what's generating this perception is based in pain and I know what's driving it, I know how to collapse it. If I know how to collapse it, I think it can begin to access what's underneath it. And heal so that's the basis of forgiveness okay so the next question becomes and I need to ask myself the question well how do I collapse it ah there's something driving the process what's driving the process well and I'll just say this to everybody in our audience you'll notice that unless you're a really miserable person know, just a generally miserable constitution, you'll notice that as long as everybody's doing pretty much what you want them to do, you get along pretty well and you're a happy person and things are good. But the minute that somebody violates a goal you hold for them, that's when you go berserk. Anybody notice that? Yes. So this goal, this goal must have something to do with the process. Mm-hmm. What determines which nine bits of data are going to be used out of the 10,000 brain cells firing? Your goal. So remember I said when this person said, Charlie enrages me because he won't take care of me the way he's supposed to? Well, now what I know is in that person's file, so to speak, in their mind, there's a rage, that file on being taken care of. And they need to clean it out in order to have any possibility of a sane perception around relationships where one expects to be taken care of. So here's how this works in that situation. So the person who says, I'm really at and Charlie, he doesn't take care of me, so now I invite them into doing a forgiveness process. And here's the simple of it, and it's totally irrational, illogical, and backward until you understand how the mind works. So to that person, I would say, so so your goal is for Charlie to take care of you. That's it. Boy, if only he'd do that. So here's forgiveness. The word forgiveness, again, as I said earlier, is shebag. It means to cancel. Are you willing to cancel your goal for Charlie to take care of you? Mm-hmm. Well, no, that would be stupid. That's a reasonable goal. Why would I? That's a perfectly good goal. Why would I cancel that? Here's why you cancel it. Because every time you load it in your mind, you go into rage if it's not fulfilled. And when you cancel that goal, you'll collapse your surface mind's perception into the root of the rage. And it will give you access as you engage the process to deeper and deeper levels of your rage, which might be 10 generations old. Uh And once you remove it, You'll be finished with rage. Then Charlie can either take, either take care of you or not. You'll look at Charlie and you'll go, "Gee, Charlie, you know, I see you're not keeping your word of taking care of me, boy. You must have a problem." But I'll hold you in a blessing. See you later. Rage will be gone because there's no rage left in me. I've forgiven my rage. That is, I've removed my rage. So, so the cultures taught us that forgiveness is about letting others off the hook nothing to do with forgiveness at all. That's a Greek idea of pardoning. Nice thing to do, but it's not forgiveness. If I choose to pardon Charlie because he made an agreement with me and he's not taking care of me, so I pardon him. Charlie, that was really wrong, bad, evil, wicked, nasty, whatever, so I'm going to let you off the hook, but now I'm going to realize that my rage is my pain, my issue, been going on in my life for a long time, and I want to free my physiology of the disease of rage. So as I cancel my goal for you to take care of me, and I breathe, I get to collapse the pained perception in on itself and bring that hidden part of my mind forward to the active presence of love. As I do that, I begin the dissolution of my rage. When I am free of my rage, my mind will no longer distort my perception of anyone with rage. And I'll heal.
0: Is it is it important to go back to that original reason why we look for no. certain things from certain people? Is it important no. to trace it back to childhood? We don't have to do that. We don't have to go through that psychoanalytic no. process. No.
6: No. Well, wow. well, we we do a workshop called Codependence to Interdependence, and in the yeah. Codependence workshop, I point out that there are several what I call the pseudo-solutions of the non-being mind. The number one pseudo-solution is, if I could just figure this out, and if I've got a room of 100 people and I said to that room of 100 people, okay, everybody, I want all your ages. I'm going to add your ages up, and we're going to subtract five from each of you. We'd have five years from each person's age. We'd have the number of years everybody in that room has been trying to figure it out, and you can't figure it out. No, It's not possible, but What you can do at any given moment is you can forgive it. You can look at the goal that's driving the pain perception. You collapse that pain perception in on its root, and the dissolution of it begins. Now, sometimes that's going to lead to a cognitive light going off, and wow, the fireworks go, and I just saw that event that happened when I was three. That's the root of it. Wow, what a relief sometimes that happens but it's not necessary for that to happen what is necessary is to step into the energetic process of bringing love present to the hidden pained unconscious parts of the mind when exposure occurs dissolution happens sometimes Uh, it's cognitive sometimes it's not it is not a requirement that it be cognitive
0: all right, so that removes the resentment because at that point we're able to go back in the memory well, well, and say to that person, well, "You're not responsible well, for my
6: happiness." Yeah. but except that, what we were working on with rage okay. was rage <laughs> deeper now, than resentment. No, but no, no. It's actually it was great. It was a great comment because now that I've cleaned the rage out. I yep. may realize there's resentment there. Resentment is a different disintegrative energy. Uh-huh. So now I'm going to begin to forgive as to my resentment. And I'll go through the same process. And, you know, you go back to Yeshua, and they said, you know, how many times do we have to forgive us to our brother? Is seven times enough? In an Aramaic, we're told by the Greeks, it said seven times 70. But in Aramaic, his is number was 77 times 70. Which in mm-hmm. essence means an infinite number of times till you're finished with that process. You know, you, you can rest assured that these, you know, Aramaic fishermen weren't standing around going, "Let's see, seventy-seven times seventy-seven, seven's forty-nine carries." It wasn't about a literal number. He's giving the number beyond their comprehension. He's just saying you're going to do as much work as it takes to free yourself of this pattern. And this pattern may have gone on for. God only knows how many generations in your bloodline. You go back to the, the story of the Jews wandering in the desert. Go back to that Old Testament story, and and here we hear about this group of people who gets lost in a 35 square mile area for 40 years. Oh, now, now let's be rational here. These people are pretty bright. They know about astronomy, and they know the sun rises sets in the rises in the east and sets in the west. You know, I think that they could have figured out, let's see, sunrise tomorrow morning, we're going to start following the sun west, and we're going to get out of this 35-square-mile desert. It wasn't about a hot, sandy place. The desert in the Aramaic language is a code word, an idiom for the unconscious. Yes. And you'll notice the average person is about 40 when they start waking up and going, gee, you know... I've been doing this for so many years, maybe maybe I'm involved in my life. Maybe there's something for me to deal with here. And, and when somebody starts to ask that question, they start to move out of the desert. And you remember, if you read that passage, what had to happen for them to get out of the desert, the unconscious, into what was called the promised land? And the promised land is nothing more than conscious co-creation. What had to happen, they said, was, the old generation had to die off. That didn't mean everybody in old physical bodies had to physically die. The root of the word generation is genari. It means cause. All of the causes held within the mind and within the genes from the generations had to be forgiven, had to be removed in order not to be controlled by those unconscious dynamics. And most people's lives are totally controlled. By oh, yes. Unconscious dynamics. Absolutely right. Doctor, I just want to
0: quickly open up in case the panel have any questions. I've been asking all the questions. I apologize. Tweet. If Rama or Tara. Let's go or for it. Randy, if you have any questions for Dr. Rice, it's a fascinating subject, and um, he spent his life studying uh, Yeshua's true teachings and uh, going straight back to the. Uh, looks, it looks to be you know, to be the most authentic text that we have. Um, so if any of you have questions, just let me know.
6: Um, Anybody have a thought for
0: us?
3: Well, Michael. Hey there, young lady. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I accept. And I'm accounted for. Uh, and I'm in All Santa right. Fe. Santa Fe. And I'm with you. Here we are. Um, I was going to say, well, asking this question is, uh, whatever is on the tip of our tongue right now is got to have something to do with the now moment. And, um, um, they're basically saying, and we're hearing it, uh, everything in the book that's not what it's meant to be, you might say, uh, right. And um, uh, so, there's a, a, a possibility, and probability that uh, uh, it's more possible than ever that accountability uh, going on in that contradiction inside could be on the table. What do you say?
6: I didn't quite comprehend your question. Could you state it differently?
3: Um everything that we're watching in terms of uh, good, bad, and ugly. Uh, right. It, it, I, I would make the uh, adventurous statement that people are uh, becoming quite aware of it as what the truth is. And, and it's not what's being said most of the time in terms exactly. of the ones... And so that contradiction must be on the table for everybody, not just what's out there.
6: She's taking it to the global level. I think that the political insanity, especially that's happening today, not mentioning anybody's name that starts with T, (laughs) we are being shown collectively our darkest underbelly.
0: Yeah.
6: Yeah. And if we can accept this as being shown our darkest underbelly and we're individually and collectively willing to do our work, this man will be the greatest gift that's ever come to the planet because we'll clean up our minds. If people stay in denial and blame him for them, then it's the same as on an individual relationship level. Insanity will ensue, and people will keep in the place of the dissociated mind. You know what? In this work, we have a specific definition of the word denial. And denial is the act of thinking or speaking as though something inside of us is caused by something outside of us. Yeah. So when I say, you made me mad... You know, anybody ever done this? You made me mad. You made me sad. You you really have a problem. Well, my question oh, yeah. to the person who says that is, if they're the one with the problem, why are you the one with the pain? If they were the one with the problem, they'd be the one with the pain. If you have pain and you think it's somebody else's problem, you really have a problem because you're living <laughs> in denial. And what happens when we live in denial is we dissociate from the content of our own minds that most needs to be healed. And dissociation means we totally disown it and disappear it from awareness. That's how the unconscious is created. And the unconscious in a human being, I offer, is an anomaly. We're not designed to have an unconscious mind. Things that we can't access within ourselves. In the ancient Aramaic, the unconscious was called the heart. You remember Yeshua says, take care of the heart for out of it are the issues in life. You notice he doesn't say, take care of the other guy. He says, take care of your own heart, your own unconscious, because that's what sets you up for experiences. But what people do by thinking or speaking as though something outside of them is the cause of what's going on inside of them, is they dissociate from their own content. And now their content rules them here's what happens by pushing away and pushing down what i don't want to look at on an energetic level i add energy to it what i add energy to i intensify in the way of frequency i send out what i like to call the high energy wave or the creative wave the psychic megaphone and let's say you know in my example with with charlie doesn't take care of me i get rid of charlie and i turn around and if i haven't resolved that rage inside of myself there's an amplifier called rage that sets up and intensifies the frequency the message that goes out from me unconsciously energetically and the message goes like this hey world I'm supposed to be in relationship with people who will never take care of me. Is there anybody that I could be attracted to that will be sure to never take care of me? If so, let's get together. It's going to show up. We live in a world of resonance. So the person who is most qualified to make sure you will perceive you are never taken care of is going to be attracted to you. And you're going to be attracted to them. We call that relationships based in matching bags of garbage. Mm
5: -hmm.
6: And relationships based in matching bags of garbage are perfect creations because it will reflect to us what we need to deal with. But remember, we've dissociated from that content. So now when that person shows up, their behavior will resonate in our dissociated content. We will use that content to build our perception of them. They'll show up in our mind with our problem attached, but we'll swear that it's their problem. Relationships based in matching bags of garbage are perfect relationships. Each person will get the opportunity to heal what they need to heal, unless, They stand in denial. No, this is your fault. I'm feeling this because of you. Well, yes, I've been through this 87 different times with 42 different people, but it's still all your fault. (laughs) If I live in that denial, I reinforce the dissociation and the unconscious creation, and I get stuck in my own desert. Forgiveness frees me from the desert. Looking at the goal that I hold in this particular circumstance, Well, gee, I just wanted my child to speak to me lovingly, gently, respectfully, and look at this kid raging at me. Well, no, don't talk to me about when they were three years old and I raged at them. No, no, don't tell me about that. Don't tell me about when I modeled rage for them. Just notice that this 12-year-old or 18-year-old is raging at me. See, they're the problem in my life. Yeah. So what do I do? My goal, I identify the goal I have for my 18-year-old is being so abusive, and my goal is for them to talk to me lovingly, gently, and with respect. So now (laughs) forgiveness looks like I cancel my need for this child to speak to me lovingly, gently, and with respect. And when I cancel that goal, I'll drop back to the experience when they were three, and I was in stress, and I was under so much pressure, and I turned to them and just blasted them with rage. And I'll see where I implanted that energy in them. And as I process through that energy and free myself from it, I open the energy field for that 18-year-old, to also process through the three-year-old imbued uh, rage. Fantastic. And together we, and together um, we heal. And we're free to
3: Hey there.
6: We've oh, got someone on the line, Tom.
0: Yes, Carlton
7: is on line uh,
0: three. Carleton, are you there, hon?
6: Hey, Carlton.
7: Yes, I am. Thank you. Welcome. Go ahead. Hey, hey, hey there, Michael. Namaskar. Namaskar. <laughs> um... <laughs> So let's, let's, let's translate some of these um, uh, the thought processes and solutions into um, into more day-to, you know, day-to-day real-life examples, okay? Because um, <clears throat> let, 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 let's see how we can put that into action. So on a personal level, um, you know, we, uh, we, we, we hear uh, somebody close to us say, hey, you'll never amount to anything just like your parents never did. You know you're 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 going to be uh you're going to you, it's too bad you have your your mom's looks because she sure was ugly. I mean just just what we call insult, right? Let's take it to the presidential yep. level, right? Immigrants are, yep. you know, uh, uh, immigrants are all they're they're all uh, they're, they're they're thieves, they're diseased, they're uh, they're lazy, um, and, uh, and 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 we can't have them coming into our country, okay? So what we, what we generally hear um, expressed, uh, what's common amongst us, is to say, um, wow, that's insulting. You can't insult me like that. I am, uh, what, 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 I, I, you know, I, I say it's so a little now, I can't even think of the term. I, um, um, hey, I, I, I feel threatened by what you say. I, you know, that's insulting. You can't insult me. Okay, let's turn that around for the common individual, dealing with these sorts of common, everyday situations? How, how would you respond?
6: That's a well, good I just went through two common, everyday situations. Charlie won't take care of me, and this child is speaking to me in an abusive manner. Let's do the next wake-up sheet. We, we call the forgiveness process we've developed in the Aramaic. We've got a step-by-step worksheet process called a wake-up sheet. So let's do a wake-up sheet around what you just said. So here's this person... Who's listening to these? This put down this person. Let's say it's an immigrant,
7: and this person's being let's put say it's Trump. By, yeah.
6: Well, <laughs> by whoever we don't we don't have to mention any names.
7: Well, uh, I'm just saying, but that these are but, these yeah, are the common yeah. things that people are dealing with. Got it. So, but but we can inflame
6: it by using names. Let let's just we've got someone who let's say I'm the immigrant, and somebody's saying degrading things to me. And I go into a fit of trauma and pain, breakdown in tears. What does my anger. forgiveness process, what does my forgiveness process, okay, anger. I go into rage toward them. What does my forgiveness process look like? If I want to heal, I'm going to have to get rid of my rage. Because rage is a disease to disintegrative energy within any human being's physiology so here's what the forgiveness process is going to look like i want this person who's a whatever party it happens to be degrading the immigrants today i want them to honor me as a hard-working contributing person in the country if that's my goal my forgiveness work is going to look like canceling my goal to be seen as a hardworking, contributing member of the society. And when I cancel that goal, the pained perception containing rage that seems to be pointed toward them, that's coming from my physiology, I'll get to drop into the root of that. I might go back to being the two-year-old where my father in a drunken stupor back in our home country that a certain individual refers to as a shithole country, I might drop into being two years of age and watching my drunken father rage at my mother and turn around to me and say, and you'll never be any more valuable than she is as he whacks me across the head. And as I get to process through that, and forgive that rage, and I am freed of my internally generated rage, then I can stand in the face of the person who wants to degrade me, and I can stay connected to my knowledge of my value of myself as love and as a contributing member of society. And I'll look at them and say, wow, you really must be in a lot of pain to say such a thing. Can I hold a space of love for you and healing that? Because you look like you're in a lot of pain, friend. And I don't have to be in trauma. Short of somebody punching, cancel the thought, punching me in the nose, all pain is internally generated. It's not about what they said to me. You know, there's, a, there's an interesting passage, and I believe it came from the book of Thomas, one of the books in the, the scriptures that was never canonized. And the, uh, the, the disciples are watching the Pharisees really railing on Yeshua, like they're really tearing him down. And the disciples turn to Yeshua, and in essence they say, why don't you give back some of their own medicine? Why don't you puke on them the way they're puking on you? And Yeshua says, I have none of that in my store. I can't puke on somebody if I don't have puke in my own store. And if I have puke in my store, I'm in pain. I'm in trauma. I am in a physiologically, emotionally-induced disease condition. And before I ever start thinking about what this degrader of immigrants is saying, I need to clean up my pain or I'll never be able to get out of that situation. As long as I'm in denial, remember our definition is denial. When I think or speak as though somebody outside of me is the, cause of, is the cause of what's going on, well, I'm only enraged because they said that to me. Excuse me, Charlie? How long have you been in this country? Oh, five years, working hard, man. Okay, let's go back six years ago when you were back in your home country. Did you know this quality of rage? Guess what? I guarantee you they knew that quality of rage. And if they never clean it up, then I don't care where they go. They're going to be in trauma. When we learn that we are made of the stuff called love, and this is where the rubber hits the road, this is where that we live. When we learn that we are made of the stuff called love, and all those degrading thoughts, you go back and listen to that poem once again. I resolve those degrading thoughts. I will stand solid and firm as the active space of love, and then be able to do whatever they want. I don't have to be controlled by it, but kings purposely instill hostility and fear so that in the future, all that somebody has to do is pull the chain of hostility and fear, and that person is now back under the king's control. So that would be my real-life, honest example of what forgiveness would look like in that circumstance. We can come into a And here's what realize- I can tell you. Here's what I can tell you. It works. I can <laughs> tell you. I, I, let, let me just share. We, actually, on my radio show, we had a gentleman who called in about uh, two months ago. I do. We have a teaching center called Heartland in the Ozarks in Southern Missouri. We do a summer program there each year. We had a man who came to the intensive who's 73 years of age. He has diabetes. The week before he came to the intensive. He had visited his son's home. His son and daughter-in-law had a new baby, and he went to visit them. And they had a two-story house, and there's spare bedrooms on the second floor. He has diabetes. He has uh, neuropathy. and, And in order to get up to the bedroom on the second floor, he has to stop three times to make it up one flight of stairs to get to his bedroom. He comes to Heartland. He actually spent about 50 days at Heartland, did intensives. At one point in his process there, he touched into his former military. He was in the DMZ in Korea. And in their training, they were, they're doing, you know, kind of war games, war exercises with each other. And he's a sergeant in charge of this troop, and they beat the opposing team. The opposing team capture him, his own men, these are his own guys in the U.S. Army. They capture him, they use wire, and they string him up from a tree, and he's about two feet off the ground, and they set off a smoke bomb right under his face. And he almost chokes to death on that. And the trauma of not being able to trust his own men. These these are my own men torturing me. And I'll tell you, we watched him. Everybody at that intensive this summer watched him as he gagged and almost puked, choked, yeah. coughing, sputtering as he let go of the energy of this smoke bomb that had been set off in his face. He went through about four deep layers, and I mean... A guy, if you can imagine somebody standing in the deepest, I mean, he's doubled over in pain in his chest, and he is coughing at the deepest level. You can imagine somebody coughing. Guess what? By the third week of that intensive, at, at Heartland, we're in the Ozark Mountains. They're not actually mountains. They're the Ozark Hills. Their, their hills have been weathered down, and they're pretty steep. By the third week of that intensive, this guy who had to stop three times to get up a flight of steps is walking a mile and a half up and down these hills. We've got a circle uh, in front of our property that goes down to the lake and up the top side of the property and down again. He's taking his dog for a walk, and he walks a mile and a half morning and night without stopping. That's what healing looks like. And that's what can be done. With
7: them. My uh, my response is um, that uh, those who are gifted with the vision to uh, to help uplift millions of people uh, to the next level, um, please uh, please uh, you know step forward, receive, and, and carry and carry forth uh, the inspiration. To do that, obviously there are many divine energies, as we've as we've discussed for uh, for a couple of years now, that are impacting the pan- planet on a increasing level, and uh, so Yay, we're we're, we're sure. going to be helped in ways that we uh, we we're, were you know beyond what we can articulate at this moment. But um, as we see, um, the uh, as 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 uh, as much truth lies in in what you shared with us. Um, these are individuals that have come to your that have come to your come to you for for assistance. When we're talking about millions of people, um, there are other things that are going to come into play there to uh, to, to lift uh, uplift consciousness. But um, yeah, I I really appreciate you sharing uh, sharing those experiences.
6: Cool, it's fantastic. And my offering is my offering is that the major tool that is missing from planet Earth. And uplifting consciousness isn't going to do it. The major tool that's missing is a tool that empowers us to drop into our own unconscious creative dynamics and remove the root of it. It's called Mm -hmm. forgiveness. If we don't learn individually and collectively to do that, then these traumatic experiences literally imprinted on the genes are passed from generation to generation to generation.
7: Yes, yes, absolutely.
6: Those who are willing to step in and do the work of removing those imprints so that they can stand as the space of active love and hold the space for the upliftment of humanity. You know, this physicist Yeshua from 2,000 years ago said, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. I guarantee he was not talking about bread. He was saying there's going to be a group of people who will actually do the work of healing, and by so doing, will be able to actually hold the space. Figuring it out will never capture it. Doing the work, my offering is, is the key to the shift occurring. It's
7: doing the work.
6: Just, let the right. shift
7: continue. Thank you, Doctor. I'll, uh, I'll I'll let you guys finish up the show. Appreciate thank it. you awesome. so much,
0: My Carl. Appreciate and it. thank you, Dr. Rice. It's been terrific having you on again. And I hope that Marita invites you back many times over. We could discuss this for days. It's so fascinating. And it's so much, I think we're in the right place to really grasp this, you know, as a human race. And I can't thank you enough for your ongoing contribution. And everyone, uh, again, the book is called Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And the uh, gentleman is Dr. Michael Rice, R-Y-C-E. Um, the website is whyagain.org. Um,
7: so go let there. Me and, let me spell
6: that out. Let me oh, spell out the website sure. because it's sometimes hard for people. It's the word why, W-H-Y, again, dot org. And yes. if you go there, the, you know, if you go to the top of the page uh, on the left-hand side, there's a link that says start here. It will walk you through the whole forgiveness process. It's all there. It's free. We withhold nothing. It's all there. Our YouTube channel, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of videos, two hours a day, five days a week. We do a radio show from noon till 2 o'clock Eastern time. Or pardon me, from 11 till 2 o'clock. Wait a minute. Let me get my time straight. From noon till 2 o'clock Eastern time, five days a week we do a radio show where you can call in most it's an internet show. There's a link on our website. You can listen to it on your computer. Most people call in on their phones and the call in number for the show is five, six, three, nine, 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 three, five, eight, one. And you're welcome to ask questions. There are over 2000 hours in archives. We've been doing the show for eight years and the poem that I read, we actually just sent a newsletter out with a, a, a copy you can print of the poem, and uh, there's a, a link that you can listen to it being read because it's not an easy poem to just read. <clears throat> and if you'd like to get a copy of our newsletter, you can drop my wife an email, and her email address is genie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at w h y org. So genie at again dot org, and ask to be put on the mailing list, We'll send you a copy of the newsletter. It's got all kinds of information, links to particular radio shows, links to videos. It also has that poem and a link to listen to it being read. So Jeannie at whyagain.org, ask her to put you on the mailing list, and we'll make sure to get that new newsletter. It just went out about a week ago. So, Fantastic. 563. All right. Blessings. Delighted.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Rice. Wonderful Absolutely to have you on. Delighted. Thank you so much. Thank you so all much right, to our see. panel. And thank you, Doctor. And thank you to our panel and to all our listeners. Marita will be back next week. And um many blessings and much love. And I know the panel will want to say give their blessings as well. So um whenever Don is ready with the music, um, but um Tarn Rama, you probably want to say uh, good night as well.
3: Yes, good night, good night. I was thinking, if you're not gone yet, Doctor, I was just before you came on the air, the Dalai Lama kind of resembled your remarks tonight, and he oh, really? said, wow. yeah, yeah, the Dalai Lama said to um, all of us, uh, let me see if I got this up, uh, anger, suspicion, and jealousy disturb our minds. The antidote to these emotions is to cultivate patience and tolerance. Who provides us the opportunity to develop it? The one we call our enemy. Therefore, we, we can see, therefore we can see him or her as a teacher. And uh, so Natasha, who's a faction three white knight, uh, she said. To Lord Rama, she said, "President Trump is a teacher for to us. He yeah. is the teacher about what has not evolved at this present time. So that's attempting to move into the to assist us uh, by that teaching to move us in the new paradigm. Yet it is being told uh, to us that you know access denied." Uh, in other words, um, what has not evolved, access is denied to go there. So we're being confronted by our own stuff, you might
6: say. <laughs> well, What's up? You, you, remind me, you remind me of one of my favorite quotes, and one of my uh, uh, favorite teachers is Carl Jung. And here's what yeah. Carl Jung says. It just ties right in with that. He says this. Our mentality is distinguished by the shameless naivete with which we judge our enemy. And mm. in the judgment we pronounce upon him we unwittingly reveal our own defects. We simply accuse our enemy of our own unadmitted faults.
0: Yeah.
6: Projection. That's yeah. a tough pill Perfect. to swallow. <laughs> yeah. Get in the mirror. Pill to swallow. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Well thank you everyone. And we send much love. I don't know if Don is ready with the music. Uh, But thank you so much. Many blessings. And we'll see you next week on Stargate Roundtable. So much love.